Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about US politics and the Trump presidency, or as we journalists call it, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm Freddie Gray, I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Kelly Jane Torrance, who is deputy managing editor at The Weekly Standard. And we're going to be talking about the big Trump-Kim summit on Tuesday. So, Kelly, the big summit is on. It's happening on Tuesday. Trump and Kim will meet in Singapore. And we've just heard that there might be, recently learned, that there might be an invitation for Kim to come to Washington. Let's deal with that later. But first of all, just what, what, what can we expect, apart from perhaps just to expect the unexpected? Yeah, I mean, this anything can happen, right, Freddie? I mean, we here in Washington are used to saying that uh, ever since Trump got elected in November 2016. But, you know, first of all, as you said, the summit starts on Tuesday, June 12th. But we're hearing now that it actually might go into a second day. So it might yeah. also, uh, you know, Wednesday, June 13th. Uh, so already, you know, there one day is not enough. And... But, you know, let's face it, it's, it's interesting that we're saying that anything can happen because normally with this kind of summit, they pretty much know what is going to come out of it when they go into it. You have a lot of advanced preparation by teams on both sides hammering out deals because they, want to, they don't want to go into it unless they know that they're going to come out of it with, with something they can deal with. And so normally... There's not a lot of surprises at these sorts of summits, but given that it's President Donald Trump and given his, uh, you know, penchant for for sort of going off the cuff or going on his gut, uh, this is a very different summit than any we've seen before. Yes, and he's also boasted about how he hasn't really prepared for it. It's quite funny because the Washington Post, you know, ran a piece about Trump. You know, he's going in, he's today, he's he's at the G7, he went to Quebec, and they said that Trump is irritated at the G7 because they're angry with him about trade and it's taking his mind off North Korea. And the Washington Post said Trump's angry that this is taking away from his time for preparing for the summit. Well, then Trump, of course, told reporters he's not preparing. It's all about attitude. Well, he's he's such a difficult read, isn't he? Because he might be trying to kind of get himself into some sort of Zen winner state. I mean, you have to think that that going into this, I think some people, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person I, I over research everything. So I would want to know everything I can about North Korea, what's going on there, the history, the you know, uh, state of the country. Uh, but but Trump is, is very different. And for him, I think it is about attitude and for him making deals as you know, he's he's talked about this in his book and, and on Twitter for him, making deals is a lot about attitude and it's. It's basically showing the other guy that that you're tough and that, you know, you won't you can't be bluffed. You, you won't give in easily. Uh, and so I think maybe that's why Donald Trump thinks he doesn't have to prepare. Now, I would like him, though, to, to at least I hope his team is, is pushing him to to get the basics straight, because you know, remember that meeting that uh, the bipartisan meeting they had on immigration and. Mm. You know, Nancy Pelosi, I believe it was, uh, one of the Democratic leaders said, we want a clean bill on DACA. And Trump said, yeah, of course, sure, that's great. Well, he didn't know what a clean bill meant, which for them meant treated DACA only DACA, didn't include anything about the border wall. And so immediately you had Republican uh, lawmakers pushing back, uh, realizing yes. that Trump didn't know what he was, the terms that he was talking about. So I, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm sure his team is trying to get him at least 
to, you know, have memorized a glossary of what certain things mean, because things mean different things to to Americans than they do to North Koreans. In fact, you know, I was in I was in Seoul in, in February for the Olympics, and I, you know, I went to the DMZ, and my guide at the DMZ, she pointed out that even though North Koreans and South Koreans speak the same language, over time, since they've been separated, there's a lot of different uh, talk, a lot of different words used. And so she said they don't even understand each other sometimes. So if, if North and South Koreans don't always know what each other's talking about, uh, you can be very sure that Americans and North Koreans are going to have very different ideas about what certain terms mean. Yes. Although perhaps one of Trump's advantages is that he, he does in a sort of clear way he does communicate with people because it's about winning and losing and that is sort of that is a kind of global language in a way yeah so that's a great point freddie and and it's something and i think that might be you know you, it's a great point because it might be one reason why why kim finally uh, decided to invite trump to sit down maybe he thought hey this is a guy who you know we we can probably communicate because we both uh see things in that way winning and losing and that's certainly i think how how kim sees things Yes. And I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? If, 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 as you say, normally with these summits, the, the deal is actually pretty much thrashed out. Uh, and that deal seems to be possibly that it will, Pom- Secretary Pompeo has suggested, I think, that uh, it would be long, long range missiles will be will be taken away. They will denuclearize uh, to so as not to threaten America. But Japan and South Korea will still be very much in the firing line. That seems to be the deal that's, that, that, that would be the obvious compromise, right? It's, it's really quite amazing. Uh, you're right. That, I, that does seem to be... I mean, I mean, if you listen to Mike Pompeo, what he has been saying, he has been emphasizing that they want to see the threat to America neutralized. Uh, mm. And really, of course, that, that would be great. But what about our allies, uh, South Korea and Japan? I mean, we have made a commitment to those countries. You know, they're under the nuclear umbrella and we've, ma- we've made a commitment, especially, you know, think about Japan. They're basically, because of what happened at the, in World War II, Japan doesn't have a very good military because constitutionally, uh, America forced them not to after what happened in World War II. And so I think Japan has a lot to worry about. And I'm sure uh, Abe brought that up when he was here in Washington this week. With Trump, but you know that's that's the thing. You know, Mike Pompeo is talking very narrowly, and yes, of course, we we don't want Kim to have nukes, and we don't want him to have long-range missiles that can threaten America. But that's not really the worst thing we have to worry about uh, with Kim and his regime. I mean, yes, it's a possibility, but I think he knows that there would be retaliation very quickly. I'm I'm skeptical if he would actually attack. But what we do know is that the people of North Korea are suffering every day. You know, there's reports of at least 100,000 political prisoners in North Korea. And, and that includes, by the way, um, you know, foreigners. And these people are in tough labor camps. Uh, and these are political prisoners who are who are there because they don't agree with Kim's regime. The people of North Korea are starving. You know, when mm. I was when I was at the DMZ, I, you know, I looked out with binoculars and to the North Korean side, and you literally, I, I, you know, I read about this. I know it, it was true from reading, but to see it with my own eyes was something else. And I saw a plow being driven by oxen. I mean, mm. this country is, it's medieval, and that's because it is so poor and it is so repressive. And what concerns me is is we're not hearing anything about how 
we might make life better for North Koreans. And yes, the nuclear stuff is important, but isn't it more important the, the everyday lives of millions of people? And, and they're just ignored in, in this summit, and I, I, I do worry about that. But this is also something that's changing in the Trump era that, you know, I mean, just sitting down with Kim would have been unthinkable, not in the to a lot of people because of because of who he is and because of his regime. Uh, and that sort of has evaporated. There's a much more, I mean, hard, hard realist would be a generous way of looking at it. A much more hard realist approach to to international diplomacy. And and in a way, you could say that gets more results, right? Well, it, it, it depends, right? I mean, what it depends on what comes out of it. Now, it, you're right. It's it's interesting to me that you know when when President Obama was was pursuing the Iran nuclear deal, and you had John Kerry constantly talking to the Iranian foreign minister, uh, Javad Zarif, you, you did hear Republicans say, how can, he, how can they meet with, with this regime who is respo- which is responsible for uh, killing and torturing and imprisoning uh, thousands of, of people who, are the, who have, their only crime was to speak out against the regime. And those mm. people are certainly, uh, most of them seem to be very silent now. And, and you know, it's, it's vice versa as well. I'm seeing a lot of Democrats complaining uh, that, they're not mentioning human rights when they talk about North Korea, and I agree with them. But I, I, I would ask them, well, you didn't seem very concerned about Iranian human rights, and so it is. Yeah. It is a difficult thing. You, you, you know, you want to get something done, but you know, just the fact that this summit is taking place certainly does give Kim a certain amount of legitimacy and makes it look like he is now becoming part of the international community. And it's it's kind of funny in a way because. Uh, you know, he's needed U.S. help to do this. You know, he actually asked the United States to to buy his fuel to go yes. from Pyongyang to Singapore. This seems all seems extraordinary to me, and to, and they've also to pay for his hotel, right? This is incredible, and to me, this this should show them how desperate this regime is. I mean, if they really can't afford, uh to pay for gas and to pay for the hotel rooms, well, gosh, this regime must be on its last legs. And I would I would want to take advantage of that. But I'm not sure that that I don't think they understand the the implications of these asks. And it is kind of incredible that we are paying uh, this guy who is who has basically spent all of his country's money on Mm. the pursuit of of nuclear and long range ballistic weapons. He spent his 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 country's money on that so much so that he can't even afford to get to Singapore, um, yeah. and we are rewarding that behavior in a way. And so it is incredible, and I'm surprised we're not you know hearing more about this. I mean, we're actually paying this guy to come and talk to us about you know letting him back into the international community, letting letting countries do business with his country. It's it's quite incredible, isn't it, Freddie? I mean, I, that's the thing about that story. I can't believe it. it. It seems to me sort of almost bound to be some kind of PR wars or uh, some sort of North Korean attitude, attitudinal thing. Because however poor they they are, I just cannot believe that an, a state can't afford flights and a hotel. I mean, exactly. I mean, and given the fact that we've seen, you know, remember when the, you know Kim went on that train uh, to China, you know, a, mm. a couple months ago, and and there were a lot of stories about what being on that train was like and it's there's champagne uh caviar i mean a- every possible luxury you can think of was available mm. for kim on that train and so 
you know, if they've got money to be uh, to be buying the the best of of France's uh, Champagne region, you think they'd yeah. they'd have money to spend? But again, and that says something about their priorities, right? But I often think that with with Kim, uh, he's sort of a media. For I mean, obviously there are real sufferings and terrible things going on, and there's a real nuclear th- threat. But a lot of it is a sort of Trumpian uh, tabloid juju, for want of a better word. Uh, you know, uh, for you know, sort of stories about Kim's ridiculousness are very popular in in the press, and they do very well online. And I one can't help feeling this this is, suits Trump a lot because actually it's sort of they match each other in that sense. And and what this really means is that he can he can have these dramatic tabloid stories uh, while really the big picture is China and the big relationship that he needs to manage is China. And so one can't help thinking that North Korea, the North Korea story really is a sort of sideshow from the bigger trade war that's looming against China. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, and of course, I, I wrote a, a piece for uh, Spe- Spectator USA on the whole Z- get, get ZTE. That plug in. Good. Exactly. And uh, so I wrote a piece on the ZTE, uh, you know, when Trump started tweeting yes. a few weeks ago, you know, multiple days of tweets about how we need to help ZTE survive this or ZTE for uh, for, for your British listeners. Um, but how this we you know Trump was saying well too many Chinese jobs left we need to help this company survive and and you know I talked to a, a former diplomat and I said it, so is this is Trump's obviously doing this to get something out of it and now is it is it some sort of trade deal is it North Korea and he, and he told me both he thought that yeah. Trump is doing this favor uh, for China to get to get their help and it's true I mean you know China's the reason that North Korea, the North Korean regime still survives in a way. Nobody, you know, almost nobody else in the world uh, trades with North Korea. Very few countries do because, of course, uh, there are sanctions and and mm. no one wants to do business with, with such an ugly regime. But China does. And so it's really only recently that China's finally started, uh, you know, working with the U.S. And, and putting a little bit of pressure on North Korea economically through sanctions. That, I think, helped bring them to the table. And so, you know, I, it's, I was actually just before, uh, just before you called, I was reading a piece on NBCnews.com and it was talking about all the spying that China is likely to be doing in Singapore because they don't have a seat at the table and they certainly want to know what's going on. And so, you know, it was, uh, and the Chinese have gotten very good at spying. It was it's actually quite an incredible story. They actually, you know, they managed a, a U.S. official's room, hotel room key. They managed to put a microphone in it. Um, and so uh, they're they're certainly going to be there. And, you know, the, the story said they've likely, uh, you know, went ahead of time to Singapore and, and bought the uh, the help of, of, you know, hotel workers, restaurant workers to spy on on the officials there and, and to tell them what's going on. So, yes, China is very much a part of this that we're not hearing about. I mean, that's you know, this that's the thing. This, you know, you mentioned the tabloid aspects. And I think, yeah, everyone's thinking, hey, there's these two men with massive egos you know, mm. meeting for the first time, and it is historic. It's it's you know the first meeting of a sitting U.S. president with the leader of North Korea, and and that drama is certainly the big story for most people. But as you say, there's so much else going on that might have a lot more effect on this story than just those two guys meeting. And I think that does get lost in some of these uh, stories of the drama. I mean. Again, we've had, you know, teams in U.S. has sent people to Singapore, sent people to North Korea. There were talks in New York with uh, Kim Yong-chol, as I as I also wrote about for, for Spectator USA. 
And so mm. these people are all working hard on figuring out the deal. But, of course, the worry with Donald Trump is he's going to walk into that room and say something, make some kind of a deal without uh, getting uh, feedback from his aides, from his advisors. And, you know, who knows if that'll be binding or if he'll stick to it. But uh, that's that's one of the big things going into this is that despite all the preparation, it is this drama of the clash of egos. And despite all the other stuff that's so important, China, um, what this means for Iran, you know, tons of implications here. But it's all yes. going to go down to, you know, what happens in that room in uh, Singapore's Sentosa Island. Pity the, pure, the, the poor bureaucrats in the State Department, I suppose. Honestly, I can't even imagine uh, what these, these guys are going through right now because, uh, you know, and, and Trump, every, you know, whenever he speaks, he's, he, you know, sometimes he contradicts himself. You know, there was one, one press conference, he was, you know, he told a reporter, well, well, you know, we'll let them take it slow or we'll let them take it fast. You know, he, he still, he himself, you know, talks about attitude. And I'm not sure he's yet decided on his own attitude about this because mm. sometimes he's tough on Kim and sometimes he's, you know, conciliatory. And, hey, you know, this guy, we're going to make a great deal. It's going to be great. And other times, well, eh, if nothing happens, nothing happens. And so, you know, what is his what is his attitude going in? What is his strategy? He says he doesn't need to prepare because it's all about attitude. Well, has he decided on his attitude and how he is going into this? Kelly, we're going to wrap it up there, but that was fascinating. And perhaps we could do another one on Tuesday after the summit. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, just to say, if you would like to leave a review on uh, iTunes, please do. Uh, we're very grateful for any feedback. Uh, the latest one was from Big Dog Bruins, who called it unlistenable and unsubscribable. Um, so fuck you, Big Dog. And <laughs> uh, please leave more positive feedback. Thank you.